Welcome to the May 27th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we will review a Phase one clinical trial looking at novel, fully humanized BCMA targeting CAR in patients with relapsed or refractory multiple myeloma. Discuss a plenary paper reporting that different lymph nodes from patients with follicular lymphoma often have distinct clones. And finally, examine a letter to blood reporting high levels of markers of complement activation in plasma during quiescent phases in catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome patients. Our first manuscript, entitled A Phase I Study of a Novel Fully Human BCMA Targeting CAR, or CT103A, in Patients with Relapsed or Refractory Multiple Myeloma, by Di Wang, Zhu Wang, and colleagues at the Huazhong University of Science and Technology in Wuhan, China. Despite recent advances in multiple myeloma treatment strategies, including the emergence and clinical application of immunomodulatory drugs, protosome inhibitors, and monoclonal antibodies, all of which have improved the survival of multiple myeloma patients. The disease remains incurable in most patients. Results from previously published clinical trials show that 33 to 88% of patients with relapsed refractory multiple myeloma, or RRMM, have objective antimyeloma responses after treatment with anti-B-cell maturation antigen, or BCMA, chimeric antigen receptor, CAR, T-cells. However, responses are often not durable, and relapse progression is observed in 28 to 88% of patients at a median follow-up of only 2 to 15 months. Higher levels of CAR T-cell proliferation and longer persistence in the blood are thought to be important determinants of the duration of response. Multiple mechanisms, including antigen escape, T-cell intrinsic mechanisms, tumor microenvironment-mediated suppression, as well as host anti-CAR immunity, contribute to the inability of certain CAR T-cells to survive in vivo. Previous studies suggest that CARs with humanized or fully human single-chain variable fragments may bypass the potential host anti-CAR immunogenicity and retain anti-tumor activity. In this study, the authors developed a novel, fully human BCMA-targeting CAR construct, termed CT103A, and conducted an open-label, single-arm Phase I clinical trial to evaluate the safety and preliminary efficacy of CT103A for relapsed refractory multiple myeloma patients. The study consisted of two parts, a dose escalation phase utilizing a traditional 3 plus 3 protocol and a dose expansion phase. 18 consecutive RRMM patients were enrolled, including four patients with prior murine BCMA CAR exposures. CT103A was administered at 1, 3, or 6 million CAR-positive T-cells per kilogram in the dose escalation phase and 1 million CAR-positive T-cells per kilogram in the expansion cohort. The overall response rate was 100%, with 72.2% of the patients achieving complete response or stringent complete response, 
for the four murine BCMA CAR-exposed patients, three achieved stringent complete response, and one achieved a very good partial response. At one year, the progression-free survival rate was 58.3% for all patients and 79.1% for the patients without extramedullary myeloma. Hematologic toxicities were the most common adverse events. 70.6% of the patients experienced grade 1 or 2 cytokine release syndromes. No immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome was observed. And to the cutoff date, CAR transgenes were detectable in 77.8% of the patients. The median CAR transgene persistence was 307.5 days. Only one patient developed an anti-CAR antibody. In conclusion, data from this Phase I clinical study showed that CT103A was safe and highly active in RRMM patients and can be developed as a promising therapy for this population. At lower dose levels, CT103A remained active and effective with minimal side effects. And notably, patients who relapsed from prior murine BCMA CAR T-cell therapy may still benefit from CT103A. Lydia Lee and Kui Yong from University of London Cancer Institute in the United Kingdom note that Wang and colleagues were candid in their assessment of the trial, including the possible impact of their comparatively naive cohort and lymphodepletion regimen on response, toxicity, and CAR persistence. But even so, they point out the study is noteworthy for the long duration of CAR persistence and its inclusion of patients previously treated with murine BCMA CAR, while CT103A enters an already crowded field of such therapeutic advances. It is, nevertheless, a welcome addition for its report of increased persistence and contribution to the discussion surrounding the prospect of treatment. Our next topic is a plenary paper entitled, Single-Cell Analysis Can Define Distinct Evolution of Tumor Sites in Follicular Lymphoma, by Sarah Haby, Tanya Shri, and colleagues at Stanford University in California. Tumor heterogeneity is a major obstacle to accurate prognosis and prediction of response to precision therapies. Recent studies have revealed intrapatient heterogeneity between primary tumors and their metastases or site-to-site heterogeneity. The site-to-site variation complicates planning and evaluation of targeted therapies, and discovery of informative biomarkers commonly based on studies using only single tumor biopsy samples. While site-to-site heterogeneity is well described for solid malignancies, it is still a question in lymphoid malignancy that often present as disseminated disease at the time of diagnosis. Follicular lymphoma, or FL, An incurable B-cell malignancy has a variety of clinical behaviors. While most patients have an indolent course, a subset of patients relapse within 24 months after initial therapy or evolve into aggressive lymphoma and suffer early cancer-related mortality. FL patients can experience discordant site responses to systemic treatment. In addition, histological transformation to a more aggressive form of lymphoma often occurs at a single site providing further clinical evidence for site-to-site tumor heterogeneity in FL. Prior studies examining the pattern of mutations of the B-cell receptor from multiple tumor sites 
suggest that FL tumor cells can migrate between different sites in the body, therefore generating relative homogeneity of the tumor wherever it is found. However, another study found that paired tumor lesions primarily consisting of nodal and non-nodal pairs often harbored different patterns of somatic mutations, indicating divergent evolution and restricted tumor migration. Here, the authors re-examined this concept, comparing two different lymph node sites of disease and characterizing the gene expression profiles of their tumor and immune infiltrates. As part of baseline assessment of patients entering in-situ vaccine immunotherapy trials, fine-needle aspiration biopsies were obtained simultaneously from two anatomically separated nodal disease sites. Habe and colleagues profiled the two separate tumor samples from 10 follicular lymphoma patients using single-cell RNA, B-cell receptor, or BCR, and T-cell receptor sequencing, as well as flow cytometry. By following the rapidly mutating tumor immunoglobulin genes, they discovered that BCR subclones were shared between the two tumor sites in some patients. But in many patients, the disease had evolved separately, with limited tumor cell migration between the sites. Patients exhibiting divergent BCR evolution also exhibited divergent tumor gene expression and cell surface protein profiles. While the overall composition of the tumor microenvironment did not differ significantly between sites, they did detect a specific correlation between site-to-site tumor heterogeneity and T follicular helper, or TFH, cell abundance. They further observed enrichment of particular ligand receptor pairs between tumor and TFH cells, including CD40 and CD40 ligand, and a significant correlation between tumor CD40 expression and TFH proliferation. The authors conclude that by integrating phylogenetic, phenotypic, and transcriptomic analyses at the single-cell level, they found site-to-site evolutionary divergence to be common in FL. Site-to-site heterogeneity warns of difficulties in biomarker development, contributes to challenges in personalized medicine, and may predict histologic transformation or therapeutic resistance. In the future, strategies for assessment of site-to-site heterogeneity, as described here, or validated using circulating tumor DNA, which might integrate information from all sites, should be considered for prospective clinical trials to account for spatial variation in patient samples and for a subsequent correlation with both prognosis and treatment response. In an accompanying commentary on the paper, Joshua Tobin and Meher Gandhi from University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, point out that since this study took the approach of examining differences across anatomical sites within an individual patient, The divergent evolution within the same patient therefore helps explain treatment failures and relapse, and also elucidates the often discordant response to therapy in the treatment of FL. Additionally, since the biopsies involved a snapshot in time from previously treated patients, clonal dynamics as a component of site-to-site heterogeneity remain a question to be addressed in subsequent studies. Ultimately, This study not only highlights the limitations of the current single-site biopsy approach, but may also point the way forward to future research in heterogeneity in FL. Our last topic is a letter to blood entitled, 
markers of complement activation in plasma during quiescent phases in catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome patients. Submitted by Amelia Rufati from University Hospital in Padua, Italy, and fellow colleagues. Catastrophic antiphospholipid syndrome, or CAPS, is a rare life-threatening disease associated with high levels of complement activation. Typically, patients during acute or relapsing CAPS have low C3 and C4 levels consistent with complement activation or consumption. Likewise, complement activation products and high levels of C5B-9 terminal complex have been detected in the plasma of acute CAPS patients. In the current study, the authors describe plasma levels of C5B-9 terminal complex and C5A anaphylotoxin during the quiescent phases of CAPS compared to control populations. Plasma from seven patients who previously suffered from CAPS was collected during the quiescent CAPS phases, three before and four after the acute CAPS episode. As controls, eight patients with antiphospholipid syndrome, or APS, were studied, as were eight healthy control patients. The C5B-9 levels in the quiescent CAPS patients were significantly higher than those in the thrombotic antiphospholipid syndrome, or APS, patients, and in the healthy controls. Similarly, the C5A levels were significantly higher in the quiescent CAPS patients with respect to the thrombotic APS patients and healthy controls. This study demonstrates for the first time that elevated levels of C5B-9 and C5A in plasma can be detected both before the onset of the acute phase and after the CAPS is in clinical remission, suggesting that there may be defective complement control in these patients. Rufati notes the low number of CAPS patients in the study is a limitation, although justified by the rarity of the disease. Furthermore, they did not have serial samples from the patients with quiescent CAPS to draw solid conclusions regarding the persistence of elevated levels of C5B-9 and C5A over time, both before and after the CAPS episode. The data will need to be confirmed in multicenter studies. Further, it is possible that high C5B-9 and C5A levels in patients with a known history of antiphospholipid syndrome may predict the development of catastrophic disease of CAPS patients and who would benefit from complement inhibitor therapy during a CAPS episode. Currently, the most available anti-complement drug is eculizumab, a humanized monoclonal antibody targeted against complement C5 that inhibits its cleavage and prevents the generation of prothrombotic and pro-inflammatory molecules and membrane attack complex C5B-9. While 12 case reports investigating use of eculizumab to treat CAPS have been published, there are to date no guidelines for its timing of administration or appropriate dosage during CAPS given the rapid clinical improvement noted already at the time of the third injection in the majority of CAPS patients, the dosage used during the induction phase seems critical. Unfortunately, in this study, eculizumab was often used in the presence of severe and prolonged organ failures indicative of irreversible injury. Also, there were more patients who required permanent hemodialysis prior to receiving eculizumab in the non-responders than in the responders. The efficacy and safety of eculizumab in CAPS 
remains to be clarified by well-designed multicenter studies that account for the rapid evolution of CAPS in organ failure and the importance of using eculizumab in the early stages of the disease. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.